Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a Get Right edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Well, what did we say last week? The Texas A&M game was a mess because all the kids left their toys out. Though, if everyone would step up their act just a little bit, the effort would clean up nice. Saturday's playtime in Starkville demonstrated as much. Of course, as a team, there's more to work on. There's always more to work on. Just ask my wife. But when dialed in, this Alabama team can be, a buzzword alert, elite. Yes, this Alabama team can be elite. Oh, plus revenge. Revenge works too. Could be that Alabama just beat the hell out of Mississippi State for having the moxie to upset Texas A&M two weeks ago. A surprise that may have rat poisoned the Tide's efforts. For that, State should be punished. And they were. Yeah, so we should seek out a revenge angle for every opponent, just in case, right? All right, offense, you're up. Defense on deck, special teams in the hole. Let's do this. Offense, Bryce Young. We're going to talk about Bryce Young every week because Bryce Young continues to do amazing things worthy of, of conversation, right? Bryce Young may have had his best performance wearing crimson on Saturday. Granted, it was Mississippi State, but still an outstanding performance. Nonetheless, and he has played lesser opponents, so it stands up. He was 20 of 28 for 348 yards. 348 yards, that's a big day. Four touchdowns against no interceptions. He was on a little bit of a run where he was having interceptions almost every game. And so, again, they didn't hurt the team necessarily, but uh, uh, but they happened. Uh, I guess the Texas A&M one did. Uh, but nonetheless, 20 of 28, 348, four touchdowns, no interceptions, just incredible performance. Bryce Young continues to uh, demonstrate poise and calm and presence uh, in the pocket. He continues to look comfortable on the field, which is incredible. And we're starting to see just a little bit, and we only need to see just a little bit, but we're starting to see a willingness for him to run the ball. It's so hard, I think, to overstate the significance of that. You know, maybe it translates into one or two first downs per game, maybe not even a first down, but it sets up a play that sets up a first down. It keeps the chains uh, moving. It keeps uh, the ball moving forward. But maybe it's only one or two times a game that that happens. But you know what it does create? It does add a dimension that opposing teams have to at least think about. Hey, he's now willing to run. It's not a barrier. It's not an electric fence that he can't pass. He's willing to run the ball if we give him space. Probably not yet at the opportunity where they have to spy him, which would take someone away, but they need to keep an eye on him in the way that perhaps they haven't before. And so that's something that um, I think opposing teams and defenses need to watch for. And it's certainly something that that Alabama uh, itself will benefit from. So that's certainly uh, an added dimension to his game that his fans were, were absolutely excited for. I think I yelled out, he's going to run it when uh, he took off the first time Saturday. And I think that was a nice 13, 14 yard run uh, for a first down. So that was good. Still work on the sliding a little bit, but uh, uh, that's certainly something uh, that he's athletic enough to do. Brian Robinson continues to be a workhorse. Unbelievable. Uh, the amount of touches that he is getting more certainly than I would have expected and frankly probably more than he would be getting were Jace not injured so we understand a little bit of the source there but Brian is living up to the standard Uh, he's living up to the role that's being uh, foistered upon him Uh, he had 19 carries for 73 yards that's a short uh, that's a low average 3.8 but he did have multiple short yardage situations which is a fan base uh, everyone was clamoring for uh, that contributed to two touchdowns. B-Rob also demonstrated his flexibility, uh, or versatility rather, uh, with five catches for 68 yards. And so a little Najee-esque there, if you will, with uh, some of those numbers. Uh, he averaged over 13 and a half yards uh, with his receptions, which is certainly productive. And he had a touchdown. It was a long touchdown, uh, 50 yards uh, plus. And so that contributed to uh, to the average being up there. Absolutely a lot of fun to see him uh touch the ball, and be so productive with it. An absolute workhorse. Now, 
there's one thing I do want to watch for, and I wonder, and hopefully I'm not being predictive in saying this, but the workload that B-Rob has garnered the last couple of weeks rivals anything that he's had in his career. Certainly at Alabama, uh, he had a high watermark a couple of weeks ago, uh, 36 touches, and he said never in his football playing career has he had as many touches. And so these three consecutive weeks, his workload might rival certainly anything he's had at Alabama. I mean, it far surpasses that, but it might rival uh, his production even uh, is even as a, as a, as a prep star. And so again, I don't want to be predictive, but I, you might wonder if we should have any level of concern with the amount of volume, um, the amount of activity, even when he's not carrying the ball pass or reception, he's in blocking uh, and, and he, which he's very good at. And he's taken uh, a number of hits there as well. So, I would love to see us rotate some additional folks in, especially uh, sort of down the stretch, coming out of the bye and down the stretch. Uh, I'd like to see us to to offload some of those touches. And we have a candidate in the person of Roy Dale Williams, a uh, true sophomore. I guess he might still be considered a freshman given last year's COVID season, and he didn't, I don't think he played in four games. So however that shakes out, but certainly a second, uh, second year wearing uh, crimson. Uh, he had 11 uh, – 11 carries for 78 yards, and so he had a really nice average, uh, just over seven, and he had one carry or one catch uh, for seven yards also. So demonstrating a little bit of versatility. Uh, I've come to think of Odell Williams as a mini bull. We called uh, um, Derrick uh, Henry El Tractacito, and so maybe Odell Williams is a Massey Ferguson or something. But definitely love to see his improved contribution, love to see his energy and his tenacity. I uh, look forward to seeing more and more of that. And we also did have a Trey uh, Sanders spotting, which is super exciting because you guys all know that um, uh, that I have uh, an affection, if you will, for Sanders. Uh, I just think he has uh, a lot of talent and an incredible amount of upside. And I'm looking forward to see it really sort of manifest. And so we got to see another glimpse of that. Uh, for my money, it was a glimpse of that uh, Saturday. He only had four carries. It was only 27 yards. Uh, but it was an average of almost seven. It was right at 6.8. And so he was certainly productive. And he had a long of 20. And under and literally in my notes, I underscored that. He had a long of 20, which shows that he has uh, some explosiveness. I think in the Saban uh, sort of grading, every coach had as a system for uh, explosive plays. Off the top of my head, I, I don't know what that scoring system is uh, for Saban. I used to know that. Uh, I think a run is like 12 yards. Maybe it's 15 and I think a pass is 20, but nonetheless, a 20-yard run, uh, by any definition, is going to be an explosive play. And so the fact that Sanders had one, had an explosive play, uh, I think is something that coaches will will take note of. Uh, we've gotten into a habit of sort of grading, which I think is a it's a good habit, uh, of sort of grading one through three, the, the running backs. And I think we presented them today in the sequence that I would score them on. Uh, Brian Robinson, uh, clearly, I think, number one. Roy Dill Williams. Uh, number two, but closer, closer to number one than he has been. I don't think he's a threat just yet to overtake uh, Robinson, but he's trending. He himself is trending in a very positive direction, and so that's nice to, nice to see. Uh, and then Trey Sanders had a couple of weeks really with with limited or, or no activity, uh, and even despite here limited activity, uh, it's enough to register. And, again, I really like that long run of 20 yards. I think that's something – that uh, the coaching staff can build from. And from a confidence standpoint, I think that's, that is something that uh, Trey Sanders uh, can build from as well. So, uh, but I would have him third at uh, three out of three or, th- or third out of three in that rank order. And uh, I think that's probably fair and legit. Let's look at other positions. And again, we're going to call out some individual. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about offensive position groups, but uh, we're going to step through sort of uh, individuals primarily a lot of uh, a lot of standout performances that uh, that we want to call out on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I'm going to start wide receivers with uh, John Mechie. Uh, we called him uh, Dangerous Workman a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is a very boring uh, work nickname. But nonetheless, he was explosive in the way that we've been looking for him to be uh, explosive. Uh, he had seven carries for a uh, buck seventeen. It was his first uh, first game over the century mark. He averaged sixteen point seven, so almost seventeen yards per touch, which is almost averaging an, an explosive. He had a, uh, a touchdown, and then he had a long of 46, and so that certainly bolstered uh, his average. But it was the breakout day that John Mechie needed uh, for his own confidence, for the confidence of the offense, uh, for the confidence 
of Bryce Young, who continues to go to Mechie. Uh, it was nice to see uh, John really, really break out. And that's that too is something, and I and I say this a lot, and I probably overstate it just a little bit, but we've not seen as Alabama fans, we've not seen on film this year what we've seen on film uh, from Mechie in the past. And so uh, Saban says things like, "Well, he's banged up," and and uh, and so opposing teams wonder about that, they think about that, and they scheme sometimes with that in mind. And so seeing Mechie sort of explode and blow up might present. Uh, something that uh, opposing defensive coordinators need to uh, think about. Uh, speaking of explosive players, Alabama's most explosive offensive player this season, I believe, has to be Jamison Williams. He has just been a revolution, a revelation uh, since joining uh, Alabama from Ohio State. I remember over the season, like, why would we need an Ohio State receiver that isn't one of their better guys? That it just, I just, you know, sort of question it. And I thought, well, you know, if he's good enough to take the top off the, the defense and create some separation underneath, and then we'll take that. There's value there. Uh, he can be sort of a glorified Xavier Williams is, is, is really what I was thinking. And, and Jamo has been so much more than that. He only had two catches, but he racked up 77 yards and a touchdown. Of course, he had the 70-yard, 75-yard uh, touchdown coming out of half, which was an explosive, explosive sort of mind-altering play, uh, if you will. You know, first play from scrimmage coming out of half. Uh, Mississippi State's fired up. Uh, they have a belief that hey, we can try to make this competitive because they've got all the 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 sort of the hype and uh, coach speak during halftime. And so they come out with a game plan, guys. If we execute to this, we can make this a contest. All of that sort of piss and get vinegar that uh, that you come out of half with, ready to go. And what does Alabama do? First play from scrimmage, just throw a bomb, uh, 75 years, yards, 75-yard uh, touchdown. Obviously, the pass didn't go that long. But I want to talk about the pass because there was something, there's something sort of glorious in that pass, and, and it's really the scheming that went into that. Uh, even Saban sort of mentioned, and when Saban mentioned something, he mentions it you know, uh, almost for a reason or he's trying to reveal something. And so I noticed this even absent uh, the Saban comment. But when I heard him say it, I, I was like, oh, I hear the twinkle in your eye uh, when you say that. And uh, he tried to downside, you know, sort of downside the play. Uh, well, it was just a simple curl. It was just a simple curl. He's right. And think about their play. And he said, well, they're playing off uh, uh, Jamo. And so we run a curl and it creates some separation. It does. They're playing off Jamo, which creates its, creates its own separation. And then he sort of tucks in under for a curl, which creates some additional separation. And so he's wide open. But guess what also that does? That makes an easier target for Bryce. If you're running a slant and you throw it a yard short or a yard long, then it's a slant. You've missed the completion. But if it's a curl and you're throwing it in, in at chest level and Jamo's a yard deep, or a yard short, he's still going to catch it because because it's right. It's not to his right or to his left. It's it's to his body, and so it's not. It literally is not a moving target. Even though he's running around and he's coming back, and literally while Jamo is moving, the target is not moving. And so if he continues to take one, two, three more steps in on the curl as a target to Bryce Young, the target doesn't change. If he's one, two, three steps back, the target, the target that Bryce is throwing to. Uh, has not changed. And so I like the simplicity. Yes, it was just a simple curl, but it's so much more than that because it gives a static target or a much more static target for Bryce to throw to. Uh, his accuracy down the field has been one of the things that we want to see improve on. So I like to see the scheming from the coaches to say, well, this is a weakness and we've got a receiver that can really create some separation. So how do we manufacture a bridge for this gap? Well, here's how we manufacture that uh, with a simple curl that is an elegant solution for a more dynamic issue. And we can work on the accuracy down the field. We have we have spring practices. We have practices. We have bye week. We have off season. We have all the time in the world to work on that. But how do we fix that for Saturday coming out of half? You just run a simple curl. Uh, so there's an elegance to that. And, uh, and I thought that was phenomenal. I did see another article uh, this week, and um, and the article was uh, which Bama player has improved his draft stock uh, as much as anyone or more than anyone. 
And I thought, I'll play along. I'll open that article uh, and take a look. And my mind immediately went to Brian Robinson. It's got to be Brian Robinson because look at what he's done this season. I mean, he's put himself not on par with Najee, but in the neighborhood with Najee. And, and he wasn't in the same zip code previously. And so I thought, oh, it's got to be Brian Robinson, of course. And then very quickly, the article talked about uh, Jamison Williams. I was like, well, holy hell, it's got to be Jamison Williams, of course. And so it just goes to say, show, again, a player that literally, literally wasn't on the roster, came from nowhere, uh, and is having an outsized impact on the Alabama offense uh, is Jamison Williams. Lots of prop to Brian Robinson, though. I think he's uh, certainly improved his, his stock as well. Uh, let's talk about other players that are uh, performed well, uh, mostly at the receiver position. Uh, Treshawn Holden, he had three catches for 70 yards. He had a touchdown. I'm not sure that I think that was his first touchdown, though it may have been. Uh, Javon Baker had his first t- touchdown a couple weeks ago, though it may have been Treshawn's uh, first catch with uh, first game with multiple catches. He is emerging as uh, as a reliable option. Showed a little bit of speed. He's a he seems like a bigger guy, so his get up to speed isn't quite as explosive, but his top end isn't bad. Is uh, is he? Uh, I was going to say lumbering. Uh, is he? Is he ran uh, for uh, for the touchdown down the sideline? Look like he has uh, just as a reliable player, and that's really what Saban is looking for. And I wish some of the youngsters uh, would pick up on those cues. But uh, I, I like Holden, uh, Treshawn, and uh, I think that he's going to be an asset for this Alabama team. Not only the balance of, of this season. Uh, the, but the balance of his career as well. I want to just give a little tip nod, uh, tip of the hat uh, to Slade Bolden. So we had a Bolden and a Holden. Slade had two catches for nine yards, but I swear he had a third. I don't know what the yards would have been, but uh, a nicer number. That was a catch. That was a catch, and the officials didn't see it. Ajay Hall, I think he had his, has a decision to make. If you've seen or heard uh, sort of his Twitter posting uh, Saturday night, Ajay, I love you, buddy. But I think you have a, a decision to make. You want to be the next Calvin Ridley or the next Dalen Charlotte. I think it boils down to that. Uh, tight ends. For me, there's irony here. Uh, Alabama tight ends had no receptions against a team that doesn't have a tight end on the roster. So I thought that's a, sort of a uh, that's a that's a form of uh, of sort of balance there <laughs> that you can't you can't manufacture that. Uh, you can't uh, accidentally let that happen. And, and there, there it is. Alabama uh, tight ends have no receptions, a couple of targets, not very many. I think it's just the nature of the game plan, who, who you're opposing. I don't think it's, I don't think it's negative towards the tight ends at all. Uh, you use the weapons in a given game that you you need to use the weapons for. And we've had other games where the tight ends were quite dynamic. So we know what they can do. Uh, and they were sort of Johnny on the spot uh, as needed. Uh, we just missed Cameron Latou for a touchdown. Uh, I was sort of half squat out of my chair, yelling touchdown uh, when it just went off his uh, fingertips. And so I sit down. I uh, had to sit down quietly mid-cheer <clears throat> uh, at that point. But uh, I like the fact that we went to him. I like the fact that he was open. Uh, and again, even though it didn't hit, it's something that other teams have to be aware of. Hey, if Cameron Latou's on the field, sometimes he's going to straight up just be a blocker and you don't have to account for him. But, man, you can't game plan with that in mind because he will beat you up catching touchdowns and uh, catching first down. So uh, I like both of our tight ends, even though they had a quiet day, relatively speaking, a quiet day on Saturday. All right. We can't get out of offense without talking um, uh, offensive line. And what's interesting is sort of early in the game or even just pregame, uh, they show the the coach walking out and sidelines and all that stuff. And I saw uh, there was an interesting sort of uh, image with J.C. Latham walking next to Coach Saban. And I thought, oh, that's 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 interested. Uh, that's that's interesting. What is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Could that mean that he's giving sort of final last sort of pep talk uh, before Latham uh, is going to go in as a starter? And that's where my mind immediately ran to. I was like, oh, that that tells something. And and it didn't. Uh, Chris Owens started at right tackle, and so uh, I just let that part of my mind quieten down. But uh, Chris Owens started at right tackle, had a decent game. Uh, he really did. He got beat a couple times, and he's gonna get a beat a couple times every uh, every game. But as long as he doesn't put on a drum solo, I can mostly live with it. And uh, and right after he has a really bad game, he has a really good game, and so he bounces back. What I need him to do is just like Saban says for the rest of the team, let's have consistency of effort. Let's repeat this. And so we need to see Chris Owens have a good game next week and build from there. Uh, I thought Darian Dalcourt at center, I thought he potentially had his worst game. Uh, so he's, he's sort of been plagued by bad snaps. He had a single worst snap 
uh, that, uh, that, oh, almost could have been a turnover. And he got beat uh, really bad. And a couple of times, barely even laid a hand on the, the blitzer uh, or the, the defender that he should have been blocking. And he's always had his snaps a little bit off. And then he's always, uh, not always, but he has consistently let people through or not gotten quite sort of the killer block that we're used to out of the out of the center position. And against Mississippi State, he he had more in sort of the worst instances of both, or the single worst instances of both. I'll, I'll say that. And so at some level, the offensive line still needs to tighten itself up. I still think if we don't lock down the right tackle situation, Alabama's going to lose two games this year, and we've lost one. And and I'm convinced that there's something together with uh, the right tackle and the center. I do think that if Chris Owens went to center, he would, that Chris Owens would play center better than Dalcourt is. I think the math is who would then come up to left tackle. And we don't have anyone that's really emerged as ready to play. uh, I'm sorry, that right tackle who, who would step up and be that, that right tackle. And so it's sort of a transit of math situation is Darian Dalcourt playing center better than Damian George or J.C. Latham would play right tackle at this moment in time. And I think that's the equation. I think uh, if Damian George or J.C. Latham, if it clicks for them at right tackle, then these moves start to happen. And I believe that this should have already happened, even if you have to force it a little bit, uh, because you know the upside, especially with J.C. Latham. You know his upside at right tackle uh, is better than Chris Owens. And if Chris Owens upside at center is better than Dalcourt's, then you just got to do it. And if that means you, you sort of suck it up for one game, then how is that different than what we're already doing now coming out of, you know, maybe for Tennessee in the second half, depending upon the score uh, coming out of the bye, let's see how that plays out, but then you got a tough stretch down the bye. And so are you making that sort of change? It feels like a change that should have already been made, uh, but it wasn't. And it still feels like it uh, it does need to be made. So offensive line, we'll keep watching. A couple of really good performances. Ekior continues to play well, although he patty caked the guy instead of uh, uh, in, <laughs> instead of pancaking the guy. And uh, I really like what the left side of the line is doing. Uh, obviously, Evan Neal. Anybody lining up to Evan Neal is going to look good. Next up, Evan Neal is going to look good. Uh, but I thought Evan looked good. And uh, and Javon uh, Cohen continues uh, to look good, and so it looks like we're we're solid, we're solid uh, on the left side. So that's certainly good. Uh, it did look like uh, uh, Texas A and M sort of the the sort of a blitz package or the stacked box that Texas A and M brought to the equation two weeks ago. It looks like Mississippi State uh, seeked uh, sought to copy that. They certainly lined up in a similar similar formation. They weren't as dedicated to it. Uh, they didn't send all of those. Uh, four or five guys stacked up over there uh, against the uh, uh, against just a singular guard and tackle like Texas A&M did. They sold out. They sent. And Mississippi State, they weren't as dedicated to it. They didn't send. They didn't quite send everyone. They backed them up. And I think they were trying to, you know, hey, Alabama's going to fix this and go something hot. And so if we show it and then back out of it, maybe we can catch them, uh, tip a ball or pick off a ball because they've gone hot to something that we're moving back into which that's not a bad uh, strategy either. But uh, I do like how Alabama handled that. You know, I do think there were some hot receivers that uh, that uh, Alabama was able to shift from. And I just don't think Mississippi State's defensive front is is the same as Texas A&M. So, Texas A&M. so I don't we think we took the threat in quite, uh, quite the same way. Uh, quite the same way. Lots of improvement. We talked about the be- at the beginning, you know, Alabama has room to improve, and offensive line certainly – certainly is one of those areas, and uh, we really do need to see it, uh, certainly. I think this team can be elite. Uh, the offensive line may dictate how far uh, Alabama goes. We can talk defense. We can talk other positions, but I think offensive line is going to have a say in uh, in where that goes. All right, let's talk mini game ball before we transition to defense. Mini game ball, and ironically, after uh, sort of parking on offensive line for a minute, uh, I'm giving my mini game ball to – and in the spirit of sort of breaking the mini game ball, I'm giving my mini game ball to blocking. Not an individual player, but to an act. I'm giving my mini game ball to blocking. We've never done this before. Uh, but there are, uh, I've got down four individual plays 
with four individual players. And so I didn't want to give a mini game ball to one at the exclusion of others, but there are four individual plays, four individual players who had a, uh, what I noted is a significant block and scoring plays all around. And so uh, Mechie's uh, first touchdown, uh, Slade had a block downfield. He didn't pancake the guy. He didn't knock the guy out. And the guy, and, and in fact, the guy that, that Slade put hands on to block uh, still kind of got a hand on Mechie as he was crossing the goal line. So it wasn't a textbook like perfect block. But sometimes blocking is just about getting in someone's way. So they even if they have to go around you, you've purchased the, the moment. You've purchased the heartbeat. You've purchased the angle that they were going to make the tackle on. You've prevented that. And so even if they get around you to make uh, a hand on, uh, it, you've still made a block. You've still contributed, especially when the play still goes for a touchdown. And so uh, Slade had a block on Mechie that I thought was very nice. Again, it just interrupted the angle that uh, allowed the touchdowns to, uh, to score. Uh, Billingsley had a really nice block on Brian Robinson's long touchdown. Had Billingsley not engaged that block, that he would have been tackled for a nice game, but it would not have been tackled. Uh, it would not have registered a touchdown. Uh, so, hands, uh, you know, heads off to Billingsley. Uh, originally, that was going to be the singular. So, if I were rating these, the Billingsley would be first. And especially when we think about Billingsley being in and out of the doghouse and and all of the, that goes into that. The fact that he was downfield leading a block that that sprung a touchdown really hats off uh, to Billingsley there. Uh, Mech, who was a recipient of a good block, was also uh, the distributor of a good block on uh, Jamo's uh, touchdown, so that was nice. And uh, one of Brian Robinson, and so he's been uh, Brian Robinson, our recipient on two of these, uh, one of the goal line touchdowns, Robbie Outs, true freshman, fullback. We call him a couple of different things, including tight end, but damn it, he's a fullback. And uh, where's number 45 even? And he lined up. And uh, B-Rob just followed him to uh, to the left and outs really, you know, occupied a linebacker. Uh, so it was sort of a standoff. He occupied the linebacker, took the linebacker out of the play and really defined uh, the running lane uh, without the linebacker, without outs there. Uh, Robinson would have run into a hole and been met by a linebacker. But when you occupy, when the hole's big enough, you occupy the linebacker, then you just run behind your blocker and uh, and get into the end zone. And so you're sort of picking off the blockers. That's exactly what Robbie Outs did. Uh, textbook execution, which enabled the touchdown score. So mini game ball uh, offensively to uh, each of those individuals. All right, let's flip the field to defense. I'm going to talk sort of defense of uh, writ large, and then we'll you know, double down into some of the individual performances. So, uh, you know, defense just in general, we talk about the Alabama defense rolling helmets out there and and playing ball, you know, limited Mississippi state to, uh, to seven of 16 third down conversions, uh, held Mississippi state to one yard or I'm sorry, negative one yard rushing, uh, which is impressive. Uh, seven sacks, nine tackles for a loss contributed to 20 incompletions by Will Rogers, Look, who himself had an outstanding uh, game and battled back from injury, but uh, still threw 20 incompletions. And so the tied secondary or the tied uh, defense played a role there. I would acknowledge, yes, absolutely. Will Rogers threw for 300 passing yards, but they were empty yards. They were much like my Saturday afternoon where all the barbecue and wings and nachos and uh, all sort of the tailgate food that I had were just empty calories. The 300 passing yards that Mississippi State had, those were empty yards. I had a bunch of empty calories. Now the alcohol, the alcohol, that's not empty calories. That's important stuff. But everything else, empty, empty calories. My wife made this dip. Oh man, it was phenomenal. And those, as good as that was, it was empty calories. And so the 300 yards, that's phenomenal, but it's empty calories. None of that led to touchdowns. They drove for three field goals, but nine points, that's not going to beat this version of Alabama. I thought uh, GMAC was right. I thought the air raid is, a, it, for a quarterback, it has to be just incredibly fun offense uh, to run. And that between the 20s, you're going to move the ball. But as the field compresses, look, this is true of any, of any offense, but more so when your offense is built on space and separation. I mean, we're going to line up and run the ball down your throat. That's not built on space. The air raid 
where you know guard every blade of grass or, or protect every blade of grass that's built on separation and so when you compress into the 20s it's harder uh it's harder to perform and so gmac was right they're going to move the ball between the 20s but they're going to struggle in the goal line that's exactly what mississippi state did they had 300 yards of, of passing offense but they had to kick three field goals so that's exactly right um and uh again sort of empty yards there which is a tribute to alabama's defense I want to talk about coaching and schemes and some of the changes that we saw on Saturday. Uh, this last week has sort of been a nut fest on um, in various sort of chat boards uh, about uh, Alabama coaching staff, particularly the defense. And so I want to I want to sort of spend my take on, on what I saw Saturday, uh, which is absolutely something that Alabama can build from. So watch it on TV instead of uh, at, at the game. So it's harder to 100% of the time accurately count out the secondary personnel, though I did that as often as, as, as the camera angle would allow. Alabama was in a lot of dime. I don't want to say exclusively dime, though last year when Alabama played Mississippi State, Mike Leach team, air raid offense in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Alabama played exclusively 100% of the time played, uh, played a dime defense. It was on pretty confident that if it wasn't 100% of the time, it was 90% of the time, and maybe a plus uh, from there, that Alabama played played a dime defense. For my money, what they did, no pun intended, it was very similar to playing the nickel 100% of the time against Ole Miss, that we're going to simplify. The personnel group is nickel, in this case, dime. All right, so we know what the personnel groups are. We know what the individual 11 players, what their assignments are in dime. In an individual player in dime versus that same position in nickel against a personnel group from an offense might have two different responsibilities. That's where we talk about simplifying. So when we're playing dime and they line up in this, this position does 100% of the time, nearly 100% of the time, here's their responsibility. So there's less that a player has to digest, plus there's left less player shifting in and around as you're trying to like guess the opponent's play. We're in dime. Our dime covers every position. We might rotate out personnel or our individual players, but not personnel groupings. And so it felt like a similar game plan to Ole Miss, just a dime versus a nickel. I never saw where it looked like Alabama was trying to rush a defender out or on onto the field uh, to adjust to the personnel that Mississippi State put on the field. And we see that in times, and that leads to too many men on the field. It leads to players not being lined up correctly. It leads to sort of gash plays. And I didn't see any instance where Alabama didn't have the people that they wanted on the field. That doesn't mean they didn't rotate players, but you can do that more more methodically and more systematically after so many plays, uh, we're going to rotate in as opposed to, are we changing now? Are we not? What are they doing? What are we doing? Uh, there's more of a, a mystery there. When you remove that mystery out, then you can be more systemic in, in what you're trying to do. Alabama did that to great success against Ole Miss, appeared to do that to great success uh, against Mississippi State. And I can't help but wonder why in the world did Alabama not do that against Texas A&M? Hopefully, hopefully, uh, lesson learned there. So, Within that uh, observation, I thought there were uh, a couple of interesting points that, that I'd like to call out. Christian Harris, at the beginning of the game, lined up at outside linebacker, uh, more the defensive end sort of outside linebacker uh, position, whereas he has been uh, a middle linebacker. We've talked about that on the podcast. Is that something that, that uh, Alabama would take a look at? And uh, to date, I've not seen it, uh, but it sounds like we did see that, or it looks like we did see that, uh, again, opening the game, first defensive play. We noticed that number eight uh, was uh, where he was lined up. Uh, Daniel Wright was in the game significantly more than than DeMarco Hellams uh, at the safety position. And that's something that we've been talking about, that we need to platoon with Hellams. We're not mad at Hellams. Hellams brings a unique skill set to the game. Think about last year when Hellams platooned uh, with Daniel Wright. Daniel Wright would start the game and Hellams would, would come in later. As we got later in the season, think about when we played Notre Dame and Ohio State. DeMarco Hellams seemingly came from nowhere and started ahead of Daniel Wright. Well, think about those two teams, Midwestern teams with sort of the big plotting uh, tight ends that 
are going to play a role in their game plan. And so who would you rather have out there? Daniel Wright, a smaller, faster, converted corner, or DeMarco Hellams, which is a larger, bigger body uh, safety. You'd rather have Hellams. And so that's what we did, and he emerged as the starter there. When we got into this season, we saw Hellams racking up an incredible amount of tackles, but he would always have a play that was was just off. And so against a team, an air raid team that's going to spread the ball, we're going to have to defend more real estate with more corner-type uh, style players, more speed on the field. Daniel Wright was clearly the way to go there, and uh, I thought he performed well last night against Mississippi State. Uh, we did see more Brian Branch and Malachi Moore uh, on the field together. We've been talking about that. Uh, we've talked about getting them both on the field at the same time, and so we did get to see uh, we did get to see that play out. And we did see uh, LeBron Ray uh, played more. He's played intermittently this season, but we did get to see more LeBron Ray last night, more in the sort of the true uh, defensive end position, which was interesting to see. Uh, on the play where Will Rogers was sacked, I thought that was an interesting alignment, very creative alignment that the Alabama defense rolled out there. Nine men on the line of scrimmage. And I even paused the TV and went back and like, oh, what's going on here? Uh, we've got sort of two safeties deep and everyone else lined up uh, on the line of scrimmage. What, what's, what's happening here? And it reminded me like years ago uh, against Miami, when Alabama brought 11 men to the line of scrimmage. Uh, it's just a look that when you see it, it's like, wait a second, this doesn't register. Something something looks uh, something looks askew. And so nine men on the line, line of scrimmage. And think about, you have nine defenders lined up on the line of scrimmage. There's two high safeties, and the offensive line is trying to call out who they're going to block. And and you start looking at who's got who's got who's, who's got who. You know you know that someone's going to drop back in, in coverage. And you know that someone's going to come and you start sort of almost like laying bets. Who's going to come and who's not going to come? Well, you start laying those bets based on numbers, what the numbers are. And so the 90s, they're coming. The defensive, like the true defensive linemen, they're coming. The true safeties, they're going to back out. The true outside linebackers, they're more likely to, 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 to back out into coverage. And, and while this looks very different, they're going to, they're going to rotate into something much more traditional. And what happens? What happens is Brian Branch and Christian Harris uh, combine for a sack, which really uh, contributes to, to that's the play where where Will Rogers uh, was injured. So I thought that I thought there was a there was a little sort of genius, a little bit of cleverness in that to not only manufacture a sack, but really give the offense uh, a lot to think about on that play. And it certainly led to not rooting for injury, uh, any of that. Uh, Will Rogers did. I mean, he was a tough hombre. But uh, the way that it contributed to uh, to the sack there, I thought was uh, I thought that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to see. All right, let's keep going. A couple other highlights on defense. Uh, Will Anderson. I don't know if, if we want to call this the WA dispatch. We used to have the Mosley report years ago. It seems like we had something with Quentin Williams a couple years ago. I can't remember the name. Maybe it was the the Q report or or something. It seems like it was more clever, but I don't want to give myself credit for it. But uh, at any rate, Will Anderson just had another day. Uh, he had four sacks, which is the most uh, single-game sacks uh, since Derek Thomas had five in a game back in uh, 1988. So that's a, that's a, trust me, that's a long time ago. And so it was nice to see, nice to see Will Anderson uh, just have an incredible day. Uh, he had six tackles in addition to the four sacks, six tackles, one pass deflection, and just an unknown number of uh, disrupted plays, disrupted play calls, an unknown number of time that, times that he had Scott Lashley uh, questioning his uh, his life choices. You know, speaking of Scott Lashley, I don't think I mentioned this on uh, offensive line, so I'm just going to have a flashback to, to offensive line. Scott Lashley played right tackle for Mississippi State last night, and Scott Lashley is a former Alabama player, and he transferred last summer, summer 2020, uh, after spring, he transferred to Mississippi State. And I was disappointed when he did because I thought this is a kid that's going to get some some playing time in the rotation. And I thought multiple times, I thought about it leading up to uh, last week's post game. I was like, oh yeah, I need to I need to mention Scott Lashley going into you know talking about Mississippi State next opponent up, and I and and, it, and I didn't. And I thought about it when I did the interview with uh, Mississippi State. I said, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna bring that up and ask about Scott Lashley. And I didn't. And I thought about it going into Saturday's Zoom call. I was like, I'm going to talk about Scott Lashley. And then just, you know, the moment passed and I didn't. And what I wanted to say 
in every opportunity that I wanted to bring it up, I was going to talk about how we would much, Alabama would much rather have Scott Lashley as our right tackle than Chris Owens. And, and had he not transferred, he would be starting at that position. And what's interesting is that could still be true, but having watched the game, Scott Lashley had a rough day. Will, uh, Will Anderson just ate his lunch. And so uh, going into the game, hands down, I would have made the trade. And coming out of the game, I'm less certain that, that I would make the trade. So it's interesting that as many times as I wanted to bring that up, just in the opportunities that I had, I never had. I even went through the offensive line and didn't and didn't bring it up. So I am. Uh, I guess I'm telling myself that uh, um, I should have let it go. But uh, yeah, I really would have wished that we had Scott Lashley at our right tackle. And then after watching the game, I'm kind of glad we didn't. So there you go about that. Although Scott Lashley, um, I mean, he's a good kid. He's a good looking player. Um, he just did not have a good day against Will Anderson. And I think, for my money, that really speaks to Will Anderson. Uh, it must have felt like like old school practices. Uh, where Will Anderson was just eating his lunch because he definitely had uh, Scott Lashley questioning uh, his life choices there. All right, uh, Henry Toa Toa, uh, 13 tackles. He had a sack. He had uh, one and a half uh, TFLs. This felt like, again, playing an air raid. We've talked about Henry Toa Toa as a middle linebacker. He looks undersized uh, for a middle linebacker. But this feels like, you know, sort of air quote, uh, this felt like a Hank game. And so uh, this felt like a Toa Toa game. Uh, it's an air raid. They're going to throw the ball all over the field. Uh, Mississippi State, or I'm sorry, Ole Miss seemed like uh, that as well. And Toto had just an incredible game against uh, against Ole Miss. And so this is the type of game where Toto excels. And so for my money, uh, against a, <clears throat> a team that's more apt to run, that's more apt to be uh, physical, that maybe we don't platoon uh, Toto with Jalen Moody, who's I think more of sort of a, a, a basher. And, uh, you know, attacking the line of scrimmage, he plays, you know, he plays forward where I think Toa Toa is, is just his size and his speed and his athleticism. Uh, he, he plays more side to side where Jalen Moody just plays more forward. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if we do that, depending upon the opponent or depending upon a particular situation. But in these style games where we know the team's going to pass it around and uh, team plays are going to have to be made in space. It seems like Toa Toa does very well in those games. I want to talk about a couple uh, secondary players. Uh, Jordan Battle, two interceptions, one return for a touchdown, seven tackles. Just he had an incredible game. He had a pass deflection. In addition to that, he seemed very, very comfortable back out there. Uh, back there. Uh, he seemed like the leader in the secondary that uh, that he wanted. In uh, a couple of the passes that he that uh, that the, the one at least one of the interceptions that he just early in the game where he just ran across and jumped up and caught the ball. Just a picture of athleticism there. Josh Job uh, had uh, probably his best game of the season. Uh, he had an interception, six uh, six tackles in, in a TFL. And uh, we had a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago, and Jordan and, and <laughs> Jordan just blurted out, oh, I would attack Josh Job. This, this team, and I think it was even Ole Miss, he said they should attack Josh Job. And we we're like, well, what do you mean attack Josh Job? And he said, well, he's good for, he's good for a player or, or uh, a penalty. And so I've kind of been sitting on that ever since, ever since he said that. And, and lo and behold, I'm watching that game, and, and they put the ball up, and Josh Job intercepts the ball. And I just kind of get an internal chuckle that uh, they, they heard the tape. They're attacking Josh Job, and Josh Job makes a good play. And so, uh, again, I think that's probably his best game of the season, and that may well be his best play of the season. But I think Josh had, uh, had a really good game. So I was happy, uh, happy to see that. And then Byron Young had had uh, three tackles and uh, one and a half TFLs. And so it was good to see a defense lineman be productive and active uh, against a team that's, uh, that's really tough on uh, defensive linemen. So uh, happy, to, happy to see that. Man, I come to the end of my notes, and one thing I neglected to do in my notes is mini game ball a defensive player. So I'm going to break mini game ball and just not do one on secondary or not do one on defense. Because if I, if I tried to come up with something now, it would be made up and fabricated and, and not have thought and explanation behind it. So I'm not going to do it. Uh, there we go. Uh, mini game ball, Christian Harris for playing a different position and uh, hats off. He played well in that position. All right, there's your mini game ball. So I'm not, I'm not uh, completely giving up the ghost on that. Let's talk special teams. Uh, let's hit special teams hard. I like Jamison Williams had uh, two returns, 65 yards total. Uh, now he had a long of 45, so there's some phantom yardage there. We talk about phantom yardage. They're going to give you ball on the 25. 
uh, you should just take it. And JAMO, sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes like, no, no, no. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, he's returned a couple of touchdowns. He had a long of 45. You'd always take a long of 45. But he had a total in two returns uh, of 65. And so he had some phantom yards in there, as well, in there as well. But I like what he gives and his upside and his threat. And so I haven't, I haven't barked at him too heavily on that. On punt returns, JoJo. And so we got a JAMO and a JoJo uh, kicking balls. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, our returning kicks. JoJo was one of two. And uh, what's interesting is uh, it was one of two for two yards, and I, th- I think he sort of dropped it and fumbled it forward for, for the two yards. JoJo, I think, has to tighten up. Uh, he looked not dialed in. He had uh, a, a pair of drops that it just he went to catch it and just went right through his arms. And then, interestingly enough, he did have a third, and a flag was called, the whistle was blown, uh, but the ball was already in the air. And what's interesting is the camera, the camera angle sort of drew back, and so they show, showed the full field. And JoJo dropped that one too, so I thought, man, he, you know, I love the kid. He's got to tighten up though, uh, on uh, on those punt returns, or we'll see more Slade Bolton. So watch out for that. Uh, Will Reichert, seven of seven on PATs, uh, no field goals. I do, I've been kind of kidding that I like that stat line because that means you're scoring touchdowns and, and a lot of touchdowns. But then you do that a couple of weeks and you think, oh, we've not kicked a, a field goal in a while. Certainly not a mean field field goal in a while. And so I think I want to go on record and say I'd like for our kicker to kick one field goal a week just to sort of stay in, stay in practice. I know they have practice and all that, but in the stadium, with the crowd, in the moment of pressure, uh, yeah, one field goal a week I don't think would be bad. I mean, you'd always rather score touchdowns. I understand how that works, but when you draw back and you look at it from a different angle, uh, it wouldn't suck if we had a field goal a week because uh, if you get into a pressure situation and, and then they put the stat line, he hasn't kicked a field goal in the last four games. It's like, well, okay, thanks for broadcasting that. And so um, – Maybe I'd just rather have one a week so they can't say it. James Burnup, three punts, averaged uh, 37 and a third, uh, had a long of 45. I like the long. The average should should approximate the long. Although I will say this, he had two kicks that landed inside the 20, so that can impact uh, your distance there as well. And I'll go on record. I think I've said this before. ESPN stat uh, service sucks uh, in terms of punts inside the 20 because they don't log them, and so you have to go somewhere else to find that. And uh, I noticed – I'd read a couple articles that mentioned, you know, two punts inside the 20, two of his three inside the 20. And I was like, well, I'm going to forgive a little bit of his average on that. ESPN had none inside the 20. And then I looked at uh, Mississippi State kicker. I don't recall his name. He had none inside the 20. And I was like, well, that's not true either because we had a, what, a 97-yard touchdown drive. So I know they deposited the ball in the third. And so I went to another stat service. And, in fact, both uh, kickers had two kicks or, or punts deposited inside the 20. So just uh, – if you're ever researching, <laughs> not that you're going to, but if you're ever researching uh, punts deposited inside the 20 uh, by the punter, don't look at ESPN's uh, service because apparently no one in the history of college football has ever had a punt that deposited inside the 20. I don't know how that works, but there you go. All right, this uh, next up, let's talk Tennessee. And here's an interesting sort of thing uh, going into this game. Uh, Tennessee is, you know, this is Alabama's eighth game going into a bye. Uh, I don't like eight games going into a bye in a 12-game in a season. Uh, a couple of years ago, Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee. Funny how these stories all weave together. Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee. It was 2009, Alabama's first national title under Saban, and very easily could have lost that game. Cody uh, blocked two kicks that would have given Tennessee uh, the win. And for my money at that point in time, that was the eighth game of the, game of the season, eight straight weeks playing ball. We needed the bye. Alabama needed the bye. And so this feels like maybe it's a deeper team than that team was. I would 100% agree. But eight going in eight in a 12 game season before you get your buys a lot, and uh, and that's what Alabama is facing. It's also ironically what Tennessee is facing. And so I think in 2009 Tennessee was coming off their buy, while Alabama was still waiting on theirs, and that makes a big difference. So both teams have played eight in a row, or will be playing their eighth in a row. I think that more than negates itself, and it's certainly, uh, I think, the more than in the in the favor of Alabama. But let's talk about Tennessee. There are so many jokes after this last weekend, and uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this one, or I'll just give you this one. Um, Butch Jones was like biblical-level prophet 
when he had the uh, the turnover trash can back when he was uh, head coach at Tennessee. And so I, the first thing I could think of with all the trash and all the litter and everything that they were pelting the field with is uh, the <laughs> the Butch Jones trash can. So so that to me is hilarious. You know, Tennessee's a four and three team uh, at this point in time. I think they're playing better now. Four and three for Tennessee over the last several years is is not a bad record, but four and three. I think they're playing above the record at this point. They, you know, they've not necessarily played a, a murderer's row, and so if they were five and two or even six and one, I don't think that would be that surprising. But still, I think they're a better team than their four and three, especially offensively. Especially offensively, they really, really are putting up some points. Uh, they put 60 on someone. They put a, they've scored in the, the 50s at least once, maybe twice, consistently in the 40s. So they are putting teams up, uh, are putting points up. I, I know it's opponent, but still, you got to do it, and they've done it. Uh, now it looks like the quarterback is dinged up, and so we'll, we'll learn more about his relative health coming up to Saturday. And again, both teams are looking ahead, uh, are looking at the bye. I think this game, I don't want to say comes down to, because they – Alabama's the superior team, but there is an element. Are the teams looking ahead to the bye? I think Tennessee is more apt to be looking ahead at the bye. Let's get this game over with, and then we get a bye. I think Alabama is is more going to sprint through the finish line, and more so than Tennessee. And so I look at this as a 45-13 to 13 style game. We'll certainly see uh, how that goes, but I like Alabama against Tennessee this coming Saturday. And then uh, one last thing to sort of order of business to wrap up, the Zoom call winner prediction. Uh, the final score of the Alabama-Mississippi State game was 49-9. to nine, And uh, uh, Dr. J had, uh, I think, the closest score. He was uh, 51-13. And so his point differential and, uh, his, and then his totals for each of the respective teams were really, really close. And so that came at the end of a, a, a really good uh, a Zoom call conversation and uh, – I welcome, uh, welcome, welcome those interested in joining the Zoom calls or downloading the prior Zoom calls. Uh, certainly reach out and, uh, you know, we have some ways to, to hook you up on that. Uh, the short answer is go to alabamafootballpodcast.com and look up the member support. Uh, but you can go to alabamafootballpodcast at gmail.com and uh, we can certainly email and uh, talk about it. So with that, this has been... Another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.